Thank you for listening. This has been a members-only broadcast brought to you by Barnabas Foundation. Learn more about the variety of resources, tools, and training available to you by logging into the Member Center at www.barnabasfoundation.com. This podcast comes to you from our September 21 Proven Strategies Conference. In this session, Jim shares why when we engage our supporters in considering how God wants to use their resources, we invite them to experience His abundant peace, grace, and blessings. Wow, is it great to see all of you here today. Thanks for coming. Uh, we had a little preview yesterday with several of you and at banquet last night. And uh, But for those of you who are here for the first time this morning, welcome. I will never forget my first brush with the power of generosity. And I'm going to start by saying, uh, sometimes when I speak, I get emotional. And if I'm a little tired, I'm a little more emotional. I can tell I'll cry today. <laughs> I was a brand new Youth for Christ director in a little fledgling Youth for Christ program in a little town in North Dakota. And I got a call from Hank Beaver. Hank was a school teacher, and he was insistent that I have lunch with him that day. And I didn't really have time to meet with Hank, but he said, please, would you meet me for lunch? And at, over lunch, he said, um, I got a special project. I got some extra money. And I, my wife and I were praying, and we really felt prompted that we should give all of it to Youth for Christ. And I'm leaving on vacation this afternoon, but I was really prompted that I needed to give it to you today before I left on vacation. And he handed me a check. What he didn't know is this little fledgling Youth for Christ program didn't have enough money to make payroll that following Friday. And I was sitting there wondering, well, I get a paycheck. And you know how much that check was for, the amount needed for payroll. It's the only time we, were, we, didn't, we thought we weren't gonna make payroll. But the blessing for Hank Beaver uh, obeying God and obeying the prompting that you have to give that check before your two-week vacation. Uh, and the blessing for me to know that God is providing changed everything about the way I viewed money uh, and fundraising. It was just a short time later in that same restaurant where I was talking with a business owner, ran a concrete business, and I was, uh, again, soliciting money, trying to make... Uh, get enough money to make the organization work. And so I made a presentation about the ministry of Youth for Christ, and he whipped out his checkbook and he opened it up, wrote the check, and then with tears in his eyes, he handed it across to me and he said, thank you so much for the work you do. We need what you're doing. And he's crying and he's giving me this check old rough con concrete construction, I mean, the concrete uh, co uh, business owner. And so when we invite people to give of their resources, we get to be a part of God's work in what God is doing in their lives. And it goes far beyond the few dollars that they give. And it even goes far beyond the impact of the ministry that will be funded. God is at work when people give. Now, yesterday we talked all about the tools and some of the skills you need for effective fundraising, and there's a science to fundraising. 
In fact, the act of raising money for any cause can be really described as a numbers game. If you hone your skills and you make the calls, you will be successful in raising money. It really doesn't matter what the cause is. We see all kinds of causes that people raise money for and they're successful. How much you raise is really about the intensity of the mission of the organization you represent and what you ask for. But today, I don't want to talk about the, the skills and the science of fundraising. I want to talk about the spiritual side of fundraising and of plan giving in particular. Because I've come to understand uh, some principles that I'd like to share with you that I think will could change the way you do fundraising. And for some of you, it'll be, well, yeah, of course, that's exactly why we do fundraising. So excuse me if it's obvious for you. But number one, we can work with full confidence that we live in a world of abundance. God is the provider for our supporters, for our ministries, and for the people we are ministering to. In Psalm 24, we hear that the, Lord, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Everything belongs to God and it comes from his hand. Whether people realize it or not, they may be completely unaware of this, but what they have is really God's unloaded to them, and it comes from his hand. In fact, in Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18, one of my favorite verses uh, to remind myself, uh, it says, you may say my power and the strength of my hand has produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God, because it is he that gives you the ability to produce wealth. So we live in a world of abundance. The second is the desire and willingness to give is an essential quality of the way we are actually designed by God. The act of giving is part of that image that God has placed in us. Even though we're broken, sinful people, giving reflects his design. When we give, we act in alignment with his design and his image. For God so loved the world that he gave. Not only that, but giving alters the position of our hearts to where we invest our time and resources. Jesus said it, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Uh, this was shown very clearly in my life three years ago. Until three years ago, um, two and a half years ago, I was aware of the concerns of foster kids and the need for foster families and you know all of the uh, terrible things that happened in the foster system. But it really didn't matter to me. It wasn't part of my life. I had not invested one ounce of money or, or one dollar of money or an ounce of effort to assist in the foster, foster child movement. And then I was invited to be a counselor at Royal Family Kids Camp. For those of you who don't know Royal Family, it's a camp serving foster kids and everything changed. It was the hardest week I'll ever love. Um, uh, I poured myself out and my heart changed. I now look at the foster system and kids in the foster system completely differently. 
and I can't help but investing in that in that uh, issue. So this year I was a counselor again, and again it was one of the hardest weeks I've ever loved. So giving alters the position of your heart. More than that, giving is a door opener to God's work in your supporters' lives. And his presence in their lives produces fruit when they give. It produces love. It produces joy. It produces peace. In fact, in First Chronicles 29, we hear about what happened when, they, when the very first major capital campaign for a temple happened. They asked everybody to give, and they called them to give, and they said, you know, give gold, anything you have. And so people gave. And as they were finished giving, this is what was spoken about them in First Chronicles 29.9. The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. King David also rejoiced greatly. And in the next passage is a prayer that David wrote that is just amazing to hear after they had just given all these things. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but um, he ends with in he ends that prayer in verse 14. He says, "But who am I, and who are my people, that we should be able to give as generously as this?" Everything comes from you, and we have given only what comes from your hand. So when we invite people to give, we invite the Holy Spirit in their lives to produce fruit. Even more, when people think about their estate gifts, when people think about giving their all their wealth, we invite people to contemplate the idea of giving up everything. These become sacred conversations because people are confronted with the idea that they will have nothing. They'll be letting go of everything they have. I love that song Brandon sang last night. Everything's got to go. Is that the name of it? Even his old uh, Nordic track. <laughs> Sorry for those of you who didn't hear his song, but... Um, these planned giving conversations uh, end up being super intimate because we start thinking about, okay, everything I have has to go somewhere. And where am I going to, where am I going to direct that? Where, where's the right place to direct that? These work... A, uh, directly against our fleshly human nature. Our basic instincts are to gather, control, protect. Uh, and what, what we are talking about is in complete contrast uh, of the, uh, of when we talk about giving from our wealth, it's a complete contrast to that. In fact, there's a whole, a whole movement in the estate planning world to say, how can you continue to control your assets long beyond your lifetime? And so for planners that don't understand this concept, their whole work is how do we control, how do we help people control their assets long beyond their lifetime? With trusts and blah, blah, blah. There's all kinds of techniques. Food security, clothing, housing, financial security is turned on its head when we start inviting people to give from their wealth. 
And Jesus had a lot to say about this. Jesus said, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat. Don't worry about your body, what you'll have to wear. Um, um, you know, those, those are the things that people who don't know me have to worry about. And when we invite donors to release their wealth, we invite, we give them the opportunity to be freed from that worry of gathering and holding and grabbing on and making sure that we control everything. We give them the opportunity to think about releasing their, their wealth. And then Jesus talked about financial security without generosity. He talked about a lot of our clients, about a lot of our donors, a lot of our hope, people we hope will be donors. They're wealthy, they've worked hard, they've built a really nice retirement, and now they're ready to retire, or they have retired. And Jesus spoke about that guy, that rich farmer who filled the barns, said, okay, now I can retire and relax. Remember what Jesus said about him? You fool. He said, this is how it will be for anyone who's rich in this world's good, but is not rich toward, is wealthy in this world's good, goods, but not rich toward God. When we invite people to be rich toward God, we take them out of the biblical fool. I remember a donor who was, uh, who was uh, telling about an experience he had, similar to the rich young ruler. You know, wealth, uh, holding on to assets and amassing wealth, if not handled in the right way, just creates weight, worry, and sorrow. Rich young ruler told us that. And then this rich, uh, uh, another rich man who was telling this story said, he was in a, he was at a, uh, uh, listening to a speech, and they asked the question, if God asked you to give up everything, what is the one thing you would want to hold back? And as he told it, he said, I instantly knew what it was. And I instantly knew that was the only one thing I had to give. And it happened to be a multi-million dollar ranch in Wyoming. And that was a sacrifice to give. But when he gave it away, he had a whole new level of joy and satisfaction and peace. And I don't know if any of you have ever heard his story, um, but it is an amazing story of releasing what we think we have to hold on to and then finding the fruit of the Spirit flowing into your life coming out of it. Now, if we, if we get this whole idea from a spiritual perspective that we're actually helping people as we invite them to give. Uh, we can count on a number of passages of Scripture to be true in their lives. And let me read a few of them for you. Psalm 11.25, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Luke 6.38, give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with what measure you use, it will be measured to you. Proverbs 19.17, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. Ooh, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. 
2 Corinthians 9, 6b, he who sows generously will also reap generously. Philippians 4.19, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.12, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Now, before you get nervous about me using all these passages, there we know that there are people who love to use these as weapons and to manipulate people who say, if you will give, I will get, you know, you'll get this. If you give this, you'll get this. But it doesn't make these principles any less true. We can rely on them in confidence that this God's word is true. We just don't need to have, we don't have to use them as a lever. So let me talk to you about just a few practical ways to foster this type of ministry in your own life. These are things that um, I aspire to do. Many times I do. When I don't, I just miss out. But the first thing I encourage you to do is to pray for your donors and clients. Um, when I'm at my best, I look at my files, and when I take a file or I start working on something, my first thing to do in the file is to pray for that donor, to pray blessing on their lives, to pray openness to our conversation, to pray for a spirit of generosity, and to pray for wisdom as I talk with them. I'll never forget the visit I had in Washington, D.C. with Steve Davis, who was the plan giving officer for Bible League. We pulled up in front of a, a lady's house and Steve said, hey, before we go in, we got to pray. And we sat out in front of, of uh, this donor's home and prayed before going in. And it was one of the most powerful moments in my life because as Steve was praying, I just realized the power of what we were inviting into our lives as we walked into this donor's home. And so I encourage you to surrender each phone call and visit to the Lord and simply ask him to guide the conversation as you're walking in. I apologize to those of you who say, of course we do ever, that every single time. Uh, <laughs> uh, most of the time I do. Um, we can have each conversation with full confidence and expectation that our conversations will be used by God to work out his will, both in the lives of your donors and our ministries. So you can let go of the stress you can let go of your financial goals that are being pushed on you. You can let go of the greed that you find inside yourself wanting some more money, even if it's greed for your organization. You can let go of the pride that you kind of have. Oh, I'm a great fundraiser. Look what I, I really need this money so that I can be the top fundraiser. These are all these thoughts we have that are not productive. You can let go of those. So let me end with this. If you approach your fundraising work as a ministry to your donors, knowing that what they have belongs to God and that their giving unleashes God's blessing on them, you'll find your work fulfilling. It will be fruitful and your supporters will overflow with gratitude for you and the work you're doing. You will be thanked for things that are way beyond, way beyond anything you can do. Because as you do your work, God comes over the top, and then they thank you for it. <laughs>
So I pray that each of you will come to understand and enjoy this approach to your work. You'll be glad you did. You'll be glad you did. And God will be glorified. Thank you. Thank you. You want to just hang up here for Q&A? Oh, yeah, I've got Q&A now. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. That was really, really wonderful. Um, so as I mentioned, we're going to have a Q&A after every session. I know that this particular topic is not one that lends itself to a lot of Q&A, but this is a time for you to ask a question of Jim. Anything that you have about that whole ministry of planned giving or just if you'd like to pick Brent and Jim's brain, this is a great time. So we have two, uh, uh, Janae and Tracy are going to be running around mics. Uh, so if you'd like to ask a question, you can raise your hand, you can stand. And those of you who are watching from remote, we are watching the, the Q&A on Zoom. So uh, feel free to jump in with your question. Mm -hmm. We have a comment from Terry. Fundraising is a ministry, never a sales. Thank you, Jim. We have a question in the back. Is there ever a time where you as a ministry should pull back from fundraising because you have enough? So I thought you were going to ask a different question <laughs> when you started that, because there are times when you should pull back from fundraising, and um, uh, and and that is when you see that you are that people are vulnerable and are not responding because they're uh, making sound judgments, but they're they're responding because they're being manipulated or they're being. Uh, or they're not able to make good judgments. And in those cases, you have to walk away, uh, especially if you see diminished capacity or real vulnerability. I remember the day in Western North Dakota when I first experienced that and I sat across the table and I realized it doesn't matter what I ask these people for, they'll say yes. And I realized it was a powerful position and I had to, I had to be really careful. Um, but you asked a different question. Should we not ask because we have enough? So I want to react and say, open your eyes. Get, get a bigger vision for your ministry. But there may be times where you actually don't need resources. Um, but I've never seen that situation. Um, and if I believe in the spirituality of fundraising, I trust that, and this is why I don't worry about how much comes in, because if we do our work, God will provide what we need. And God will, if God is blessing us with more resources, he's calling us to do more. Um, so I, would, I wouldn't encourage you as fundraisers to back off, but there might, there might be a time where you say, you know, we've been blessed and we don't need to, but I would just say, hey, what is God, what is God calling your ministry to do with these resources and get on to the next thing? Maybe, unless maybe you have a specific reason for asking that question. Maybe we talk afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> we have a question up here. You, 
you and I were sharing war stories yesterday. Yes. Um, but I'm wondering, you know, not necessarily that topic, but looking at the decades that you've been involved with planned giving, do you see trends that are changing as one generation changes to another? Are there any big picture things that have changed from when you got started with Barnabas and planned giving to now? Are people different? Well, you know, I think uh, what we saw from the greatest generation and even the silent generation is uh, is a very high level of loyalty to organizational structures. And and if you were a part of a group, you gave to what that group uh, supported and you were faithful kind of no matter what. Um, I think that that is with the baby boomer that has really changed and now it's much more what are you doing for me lately and and much more skepticism about the structure and more giving to the you know the the cause and if it has perceivable benefits and perceivable um, results now and then and I'm just talking about you know the in the planned giving arena, you know, we see a whole different way of approaching giving with uh, Generation X and um, and the uh, millennials, which you know we're still trying to figure out how that will affect planned giving. But definitely, the loyalty to organizations as organizations is really waning, from my perspective. Question over here, I'm Sharon. Um, what tactics would you recommend for getting your executive team to kind of make that transition from development and plan giving from a um, pitch or an ask perspective to one of ministry and relationship building? So this is this is so this is so challenging because for organizational leaders. They have to make the organization work and they have to make the finances work and you have to set goals and once you set goals you have to have you have to deliver those goals and so um i remember a close friend of mine we were walking into a capital campaign and we had some uh outlandish size goals and we were all worried can we actually hit them and he wanted weekly updates on planned giving activity and finally, I said, hey, you got to stop opening the oven door in the middle of baking the cake. You're going to ruin it for <laughs> us. You know? And so so this challenge of leaders, when they set up a plan and say, we're going to need this much money, you know, to get that um, is 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 always really difficult. And so how do we get leaders to set good goals and make business plans, but then really live in, we're gonna trust God for this. And then there are other ministries that just wanna trust God and they don't wanna, they don't wanna have a environment of asking. And so you know, then, then you, some of the good techniques of fundraising can't be used because the leaders say, no, we don't wanna do that. And um, so I think that's probably a really good discussion to have and and probably a longer conversation here but i think um 
I think there's really understanding the science of how people give is important as well as the spiritual side of how people give. And if people don't recognize that you, you have to actually do the work and the work will produce results, then we have to maybe provide training on that. Thank you for listening. This has been a members-only broadcast brought to you by Barnabas Foundation. Learn more about the variety of resources, tools, and training available to you by logging into the Member Center at www.barnabasfoundation.com.